those from China. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, markets are higher this morning here in Asia. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry says no deal without the Ukrainians. Cidic's push into Hong Kong sends a hopeful sign to some about reform on state enterprises in China. And the feds apparently knew about GM's ignition problems but did not call a full review. So we've got those stories coming up. And in terms of looking forward, the Bank of Japan releases the Tenkan Business Survey this week. And the March U.S. Jobs Report will offer a big tell on the American economy. Was the weakness of, uh, of late down to the weather or was there something more going on? So all those things coming up and a host of very interesting guests. Andrew Sullivan, Director of Sales Trading at Kim Eng Securities, will join us. Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. And Ken Lowe, CEO of local Bitcoin exchange ANX. But first, we set the tone on Ukraine. Both sides made suggestions on ways to de-escalate the security and political situation in and around Ukraine. We also agreed to work with the Ukrainian government and the people to implement the steps that they are taking. That's the Secretary of State John uh, Kerry. Meantime, former Deputy Managing Director at the IMF John Lipsky says that Ukraine does need to rid itself of what he called ruinous energy subsidies. They've done one of the things that's already happened, and that is there's been a significant devaluation of the currency Mm. that should help restore their international competitiveness. But most important will be to uh, try to do something with the ruinous energy subsidies that has been afflicting that economy for some years now. Results in a distortion in their their, uh, uh, production and cost them enormous amounts in foreign exchange. This has to be dealt with. So the mood is slightly better this morning, whether that's down to Ukraine, whether it's because Vladimir Putin called Barack Obama or whether it's because the foreign ministers are getting together in Paris or the China reform or perhaps that the U.S. economy is looking better. All the markets are higher in Asia. The Nikkei is up 114 points at 14,810. In Australia, the ASX 200 up 33 points. That's two-thirds of a percent higher at 54.10. And in Seoul, the Kospi is up about a third of 1%. Here's how the currencies look. The dollar is trading at 102.87 yen. So that's the dollar quite a lot stronger against the yen. And that's usually a pretty good signal that with the yen down, that risk is on the euro at 1.374 US the Australian dollar 92 and a half US cents so continuing its push higher against the greenback and the pound 12 Hong Kong dollars and 91 cents guests coming in just a moment but first we'll take a, a closer look at this Ukraine story uh, John Kerry and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov have failed apparently to make a lot of progress over Ukraine but Mr. Kerry said that both countries emphasized the importance of finding a diplomatic solution. Mr. Lavrov set out demands for a neutral and federal Ukraine, an idea that Kiev has already called capitulation on its part. Mr. Kerry says there will be no deal without the Ukrainians involved. Sweden's foreign minister, Carl Bildt, says Mr. Kerry's decision to hold the talks shows a united front against Russia's stance. 
I think it is right to explore every political avenue, every, every diplomatic avenue there might be. Uh, I think the Russians have made it fairly clear what their political objectives are, uh, not only sort of short-term as we speak, but also long-term with Ukraine. But at the same time, I think they've become more aware of the strength and cohesiveness of the international reaction. And then it's right to test diplomacy. Is there any way in which we can get them to back down? So let's say good morning to Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So the mood is a little bit better this morning. Um, Not easy to determine exactly why, but uh, it looks like uh, you you wouldn't want to call it progress, but at least things are not getting worse with Ukraine. Well, I think that's true. I think the Russians are looking for a solution. But it is very interesting that they've upped their negotiating uh, strategy to to say that they want essentially a, a you know a neutral Ukraine that's not going to go into NATO. That's difficult for the Americans and the West Europeans because uh, that means that your that uh, Ukraine doesn't have much sovereignty. Uh, I think that the uh, Putin move of putting the uh, troops along the border, you know, he has no intention of going in there. In my case. Uh, in my, my thinking, but uh, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's the strategy he's playing. I think Kerry's in a very tough position here, and uh, Putin's got the whip hand, but, uh, you know, politics in, in Kiev is very important, too. But I do think you're right. I think it's going to de-escalate, and we certainly haven't, we haven't gone downhill. Yes, a lot of us felt uncomfortable over the weekend, I think, uh, with John Kerry meeting with Sergei Lavrov. And, you know, where are the Ukrainians? Uh, and it's not really John Kerry's job to negotiate for Ukraine on its own status. And it seems like the sounds coming out of Ukraine is it's not acceptable uh, that they uh, have to take neutrality and that they cannot align more closely with the EU. Um, so does that mean that although things aren't getting worse now, they will soon? But, you know, we're in a uh, transition phase within Ukrainian politics. I I think it's an acceptance now of uh, losing Crimea. But the fact that they've got an election coming up uh, is very important. They don't really have a legitimate government at the moment. But clearly, the West cannot accept the fact, uh, the reality, that Ukraine would not have uh, sovereignty to determine its own future. So that is the rub. But uh, we'll see how that develops. So let's move on to discuss conditions of the U.S. economy, things like uh, it seems like it's getting a little bit better. I note that economists are projecting now about 200,000 new jobs created when we get the jobs report this week. Does that mean that the winter is now behind us? I do think that, Brian. I think finally the winter is behind us. And, uh, you know, this is an important week. There's no doubt about it, not just because of Ukraine. But what if that jobs number is uh, way up and and that's going to give some you know, additional boost to uh, keeping this uh, phase of rolling back the stimulus going on on the monetary side. Uh, what if the stock market uh, continues to tread water as it has for the first three months? What if the NASDAQ uh, goes down because it's sort of gone below its 200-day moving average? Uh, you know, I think uh, this, is, this is a delicate uh, phase, and uh, then we shouldn't uh, forget about the yield curve, too. Yes, the yield curve is interesting in that it's not doing what uh, Janet around six months Yellen wants. Uh, it is 
it is flattening instead of steepening. See, when you talk about bond yields, you have to at least make a, a weak attempt at a joke because otherwise uh, people will just uh, run away from the radio or change it. Um, but anyway, I mean, obviously a steeper yield curve is, is a sign that the economy is getting better. A flatter one sends a little bit of a funny signal. I'm not sure it's weak, but it means that longer term bond yields have come down a little bit and shorter term bond yields have come up a little bit. And then you also have <laughs> next to that, you've got um, margin debt at an all time high or almost at an all time high on uh, Wall Street. So those are a couple things to worry about. Yeah, I think those are things to worry about, Brian, because you, you know, clearly you're right. This is the yelling effect on the short end of the yield curve, because uh, this notion of, you know, saying it's going to be six months and you've got stimulus coming down in April, probably to what, 45 billion of uh, bond purchases per month, that's down from 85. So that's a deceleration on, on the accelerator. It, it seems to me that um, if, the, if the long end stays where it is, we'll probably be okay. But clearly the market is signaling higher rates ahead. Because you always hear these people saying, you know, the bond guys are smarter than the stock guys or bond people uh, know more about what's happening. I think it's just that they're more careful. You know, people in the bond market are trying to um, more or less protect their wealth, whereas people in the stock market are trying to create it. So there's that interesting tension uh, between the two. A couple of words about uh, Europe. Inflation dropping further. So def uh, disinflation there, if not getting close to deflation. Will the ECB do anything about it? Well, that's, that's the question. I, I think that uh, Mario Draghi is not yet convinced that you've got deflation as a reality or as a threat inside the Eurozone. So I, I don't think he's going to address that. But the fact is that, um, you know, there's some stability in Europe. Uh, the euro obviously has held up very well despite Ukraine's crisis and the fact that they neighbor, you know, Poland is uh, is their Czech Republic, Slovakia neighbor on U Ukraine. Uh, so I think Europe is 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 stable. Uh, we don't have the ECB meeting until the following week, and then let's not forget we've got an international monetary fund meeting coming in Washington, and uh, you'll get a new uh, World Economic Outlook or a revised. WIO, and uh, I think Europe is probably going to be no worse than what was expected three months ago, but that's still very slow growth. Europe is calm. China has seen a little bit of excitement here of late, uh, perhaps for the wrong reasons. Investors seem to be uh, thinking that stimulus is coming, that uh, the authorities, in the way that they manage things, felt a little uncomfortable with the PMIs turning down into the 48, low 48 range, and that there may be some stimulus. So we've seen a little bit of a pickup here in uh, old economy stocks. Are you getting much of that over there, much, uh, much press on that? Well, yes, I think so. And I think we're also getting pressed that the uh, slowdown in China is really affecting commodity prices, which have fallen, fallen off. And uh, there's worry about the Chinese bank. So, yeah, I think we're getting quite a bit of attention on that. Okay, Barry, uh, for the moment then, um, I'll let you go. And I realize that you're at the tail end of your uh, uh, Southern Africa trip. So all the best, and we'll speak to you again next Monday morning. Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, having spent three weeks in South Africa, but still commenting, uh, obviously, about global conditions. Well, the time is now 15 minutes after 8 o'clock, and you're listening to, uh, to um, Money for Nothing. 
The mainland authorities uh, are said to have seized assets worth at least 90 billion yuan, that's about 14.5 billion U.S. dollars, from family members and associates of the former domestic securities czar Zhou Yokong in China. That's according to a report from Reuters. We get more details now from our Sean Kennedy. Quoting unnamed sources who had been briefed on the investigation, Reuters said more than 300 of Joe's relatives, political allies, protégés and staff have also been taken into custody or questioned in the past four months. President Xi Jinping has made tackling graft at the highest level a priority for his administration. The agency said Mr Xi ordered a task force formed in late November or early December to look into the accusations against Mr Joe. The size and scope of the asset seizures and the scale of the investigations make the corruption probe unprecedented in modern China. Mr Zhou has been under virtual house arrest since authorities began formally investigating him late last year. He's the most senior Chinese politician to be ensnared in a corruption investigation since the Communist Party swept to power in 1949. The news agency said Beijing had yet to make any official statement about Mr Zhou or the case against him. Meantime, uh, Hong Kong futures are higher this morning, and CIDIC is moving most of its assets to Hong Kong and injecting them into its Hong Kong subsidiary. And some strategists are pointing to this as a kind of key move on reform. That could be a part of the optimism uh, this morning. It, it is said by these analysts to be an important step in state enterprise reform and the entry of private capital. Uh, good morning on a Monday to Andrew Sullivan now, who is the director of sales trading at Maybank Kimeng Securities. Andrew, nice to have you on the program. Yeah, good morning. Yes, yeah, so the week is looking uh, sort of interesting. What are you focusing on this morning? Well, I think, I mean, we have the obviously the month quarter end today, so a little bit of window dressing expected. Um, but I think realistically, more, more importantly, probably the Tankan survey in Japan tomorrow, uh, and obviously the implications of the consumption rate tax there. And then as we go through the week, you know, the ECB meeting and then the, the U.S. jobs number on Friday will be, uh, you know, a, a key one for people. Are people somewhat nervous about the consumption tax hike in Japan? Oh, I think that's definitely the case, yes. I mean, you've, you've got retailers looking at this in another way, you know, two ways. Some are looking just to pass the cost straight on and hoping that their market share survives. Others are looking at making the sort of pot smaller and charging the same price and hoping people don't notice. But realistically, this is going to be the first key test of Abenomics. And, and you have to remember, it's not even a very large hike in consumption tax that we're talking about, but it is seen as significant. The Nikkei has struggled quite a bit this year. I mean, it was last year's equity story. This year, it's one of the worst performing of the big markets, being treated like an emerging market almost. Do you think that changes soon? Well, I think I, mean, I think it's very much under the spotlight. I mean, we've given... Um, um, Prime Minister Abe, quite a long time to, to put a lot of these reforms in place. We haven't necessarily seen all that we had hoped we would see when he first came in in a fanfare. Uh, and hence, people are very concerned that maybe this Abenomics isn't going to work. Uh, and certainly recently, you know, in Japan, you've seen people buying gold on the, on the fear that it doesn't. A lot of people are looking also at China, and they seem to be thinking that we might see some stimulus coming from the federal authorities. Could be something like uh, a cut in the reserve ratio rate uh, that the banks have to hold, or it could even be some fiscal stimulus. Uh, what do you think? I think, I mean, I think it's, it, you know, there is the possibility. Obviously, they always have the scope to do that. But I think the new leadership has really put itself in place saying that, you know, it has the tools, but it's really going to wait and try and let the market work a lot of these things out rather than going back in for stimulus, which 
it has noted that has limited long-term impact. So it's much keener to see, you know, maybe taking a little bit of pain in the short term in order to achieve the long-term goal. So I wouldn't put too much scope by it, but I'm sure there will be tinkering around the edges. The bank earnings seem to come out okay, and we had China Construction Bank uh, yesterday. Um, odd that sometimes they release on Sundays and things like that. But anyway, China Construction Bank up 9% in quarterly profit. Uh, is is that a little better than expected? I think that's definitely better than expected. I mean, our analyst is saying it's probably his top pick now. Um, it had, doesn't have the deposit constraints of uh, some of the other banks. And we did see the, the net interest margin widening, which is a very positive thing. And, and I guess at the end of the day, it means that it probably you know, isn't competing that much for um, deposits. And it's been very, very conservative on, on how it treats its non-performing loans. So that's positive as well. One of the trends of late has been selling the high flyers. Uh, in the United States, it's the uh, China Internet plays and the American Internet plays and biotech. Over here, we've seen uh, quite a few of the top Internet plays get slammed pretty good. Do you think that trend continues uh, and money flows into the old economy? Or was that just a blip and it'll return to the old ways? No, I think, I mean, I think it is a trend. I mean, we've seen, you know, as you say, probably over the last six months, people have really followed the momentum plays uh, and, and, you know, all the boats rise in a rising tide. Now people have got the, the specter of interest rates rising. They're looking more for value, uh, long-term value stocks. So that tends to push people back into slightly more defensive stocks uh, and, as you say, probably old economy-type stocks. Yeah, things like cement have done pretty well. Energy has done a little bit better. Uh, um, did you... Are you happy to comment on CNOC a little bit because the earnings out uh, just as we were um, finishing up the week last week? Uh, anything interesting there? Well, I, I mean, I think I think the, the problem that CNOC has and that a lot of the, the, the petrochem companies have is the fact that they're still basically being controlled by the central government as far as pricing goes. The encouraging thing is that obviously CNOC is, is still looking to grow its business and it's looking overseas and it's trying to deal, you know, develop partnerships with. Uh, uh, international companies that have the the technology that it really doesn't have in-house um, and I think that's encouraging but I mean I think the sector as a whole is, is still facing big headwinds. The Cidic story that I headlined uh, is getting some attention uh, quite a lot written about it over the past uh, several days which is interesting because uh, Cidic is moving his asset, assets into a Hong Kong listed subsidiary which is quite notable in that um, the assets and the funding or and the and the cash and everything is moving outside of China's direct control into Hong Kong listed vehicle is that important in your view well i think it, it, i mean if it if it really does herald the the reformation of a lot of the state owned industries into far more um, efficient vehicles then i think it's very encouraging and of course you know bringing them under necess you know, not necessarily hong kong company controls but bringing them under listed uh, company controls where shareholders hopefully will have more of an input uh, rather than being just minority interests would be very encouraging as well because effectively what the state-owned industries need to do is to become more efficient and more competitive within the international market and china's aware of that you know it can't open its borders up and have these behemoths that cannot compete on the international market. So it needs to bring them into a more um, open playing field. And it, you know, it's almost like you know, practicing for the, the, the rugby sevens. These teams practice long and hard before they go out there on the field. That's what China's SOEs need to do. They need to be reformed. They need to become more efficient, and they need to be able to compete. Okay, so as we look out over the week this week, what's your top investment idea at the moment? Well, I think, you know, we, you know, we get past today and the... Um, 
and the uh, you know the end of the month normal sort of window dressing. But I still think you know it, it's um, things like Darsing Bank is uh, looking very good four four zero. We're seeing the the wing hang OCBC uh, deal going through hopefully, uh, and there's scope for Darsing to to be either a candidate or at least see, see some restructuring to get um, more efficient uh, use for the minorities. So that would be one there. And I still think it's it's a matter of looking at individual companies uh, and the stores that run with them and finding good trades there. Yeah. Overall, how would you say uh, earnings have been? Because we've seen a slew of earnings in the last week. Well, I, I, I don't think they've actually been that strong overall. Um, you know, we haven't seen any major um, companies, you know, really hit the ball out of the park. And I think that's probably, you know, the nature of the business at the moment. China is still undergoing this uh, change, trying to move from a, uh, an export to a domestic consumption story. But, you know, on both fronts, it's, it's facing headwinds, and that's likely to continue. All right, Andrew, thank you. Andrew Sullivan, Director of Sales Trading at Maybank Kimeng Securities. Twenty-three and a half minutes after eight o'clock. This is money for nothing. Well, Bitcoin appears to be at a fork in the road. Last week, the Internal Revenue Service, the tax man in the United States, said that Bitcoin should be treated as property rather than as currency for tax purposes, and that prompted a lot of commentary. Good time to talk with somebody here locally who knows a thing or two about Bitcoin. Ken Lowe, Chief Executive Officer of Local Bitcoin Exchange ANX. Ken, good morning. Hey, good morning. So the IRS decision uh, ended perhaps uh, some mythologies uh, about Bitcoin, at least for American investors. It means that, you know, this idea that you can operate outside the financial system and conduct transactions of a large nature anonymously seems to be coming to an end. Uh, Before we get started, could I ask you to put your phone in your back pocket or on the floor? Because we'll get some... uh, RF interference. Um, so is this a sort of key junction point for Bitcoin? Uh, yep. So we'll, we'll see that in 2014, though, we see more and more recognition by the government as uh, Bitcoin is not just the anonymous uh, drug uh, method of payment. You'll see that, you know, it is a, a valid method of payment and also an asset class that has a, a store of value of some sort. So do you think it will become a mainstream payment system? Uh, definitely, because of you know, with the attributes uh, with it, you know, low transaction costs, uh, zero chargebacks, and a very secure way of uh, transferring uh, a payment. Do you note though that still there's a lot of uh, regulatory um, opposition to it? It doesn't seem that, for instance, what we saw with the People's Bank of China recently uh, gives people um, you know a reason to be quite nervous about it. Um, I think we've seen this uh, every time when uh, new technology comes out. I mean, governments, people in general don't know uh, how to how to regulate it, how to control it, or how to how to deal with it. I mean, we saw this with the internet when it first came out. You know, the internet's not backed by anybody. It's you know, no government owns it. And you know, how how do you make sure ensure that there's you know stability and uh, you know everybody is working uh, in 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 a good way? You really see it as self policing. Uh, yeah, I see that as uh, because right now, because the, with the decentralization of, of, of bitcoins, it's, it's very hard for one body to really control control it. So what you'll have to do is you'll have to, you know, curb it, set some rules in place, and then uh, the industry will self-regulate. So what went wrong with Mt. Gox then in Japan, where so many people um, lost their money? 
Uh, so Mount Cox, you know, was, uh, you know, there was a series of uh, problems that they had with that. And I think this is just uh, teething issues. Uh, again, I bring back the Internet, you know, the dot-com days when uh, it was a very a new market. You know, it grew a lot, a lot faster than anybody could uh, imagine. And when, when you see that type of industry like that, you know, there's going to be some issues and some uh, companies that aren't well run. But as you see the market mature and uh, more and more uh, seasoned players come into the industry, you'll see more and more stability and, uh, you know, overall a better experience for everybody. In general. What sort of activity are you seeing at your exchange, A and X? Um, so, you know, recently uh, with the uh, um, uh, drop in price, you know, uh, one of the things you mentioned before is PPOC. There's some rumors circling around, and it seems to be coming out every every other week. I mean, two weeks ago, we had another one from Sina, uh, and the government has actually came back and said, you know, the, these rumors aren't don't exist. So the, the rumor was that the PBOC would ban Bitcoin bank accounts by April 15th. Uh, you don't believe they'll do that? Uh, I, I don't know uh, exactly what the government can cannot do. Uh, but what I, what I know right now, there's been no official statement and nothing uh, supporting this. Uh, even people in the industry that we've talked to right now, there has been no uh, direct official statement from PBOC. Do you feel at all nervous with the status in Hong Kong that we, you have? Um, I mean, with regulation, it can change any time. But I mean, I see this as a, as, a, as, a, as a future of payment methods. And, you know, it's it's one of these things that the government will look into it and ensure that, you know, there's safety for all the, the buyers and the people involved. So, I mean, I think uh, uh, HKMA and also the other regulatory bodies are closely monitoring the situation and will do what's right to not stifle, stifle the, uh, the innovation. However, they will put, you know, stability into the system. Technically speaking, what does it mean with the IRS making that decision that it's seen as uh, property rather than uh, as currency? I mean, it gives it some uh, some sense of... Um Value. I mean uh, that the IRS does recognize it as as an asset class, and I mean this was one of the things that uh, a lot of people are a lot of skeptics are are saying <clears throat> it's it's not it's got no store of value. It's not backed by anything. It, it could go any time. So I mean this is this is one step closer to to uh, making you know bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies uh, you know a, a value. So, so walk us through, you know, how a person in Hong Kong could actually, um, I, I think it's beyond now the pale even talking about mining bitcoins. But let's say that you want to acquire some bitcoin and you want to use it in a transaction. How do they get started? Uh, I mean, so one of the easiest ways is uh, just uh, coming up to our office in Wan Chai, um, you know, bringing your uh, valid government issued ID and your residential address. Then you can use an ATM machine that we have uh, in, our, in our office right now. And all you have to do is... Uh, Put money in, three steps, 15 seconds, you can buy your Bitcoins. And then how do you spend it? Um, so usually what happens is your Bitcoins get stored in something called a digital wallet. A digital wallet is something that could be on your phone or on our servers, and it's gonna be, uh, um, you can use it through your mobile. So basically you'd walk into, uh, say, a coffee shop, and uh, you'd uh, ask for the, the price of the coffee, and then you say it's going to be 0 0.003 Bitcoins. You scan the QR code, and you send it out. If you say in 30 seconds, could you say whether Bitcoin is an asset or is Bitcoin a transaction medium? I would say right now it's, it's, it's more of a, a transaction medium. I mean, the, the, the unfortunate thing is that a lot of speculators are putting a, a store of value and, uh, you know, using it for speculation. And this happens in any, any asset class that you see today, even real estate. Okay. However, I think it's, it's uh, future, in the future going forward, it's a payment method. Okay, Ken, thank you very much for taking out the time to be with us on the program this morning. Ken Lowe, Chief Executive Officer of the Bitcoin Exchange, ANX.
Gold trading at $1,297, so a key move now down below $1,300 an ounce. Oil dropped as well, $107.95. Nikkei's up about three-quarters of a percent. All the other markets are higher as well. So let's take a look at the weather for us in Hong Kong today. Uh, strange with with getting uh, uh, hail last night. Troth of uh, low pressure bringing some thunderstorms to us. Cloudy with occasional rain today. Heavy at times with squally thunderstorms. The maximum temperature should be 24. Thirty-one. The news with Samantha Butler. The United States and Russia have concluded four hours of hastily arranged talks on the crisis in Ukraine without a breakthrough. The U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry said the negotiations had been frank, but that both sides were committed to finding a diplomatic solution. However, he said the final decisions could only be made by the Ukrainians themselves. Here's the BBC's Bridget Kendall. It seems the Americans are prepared to discuss some of Russia's key demands, including constitutional reform to devolve some central power to Ukraine's regions, as well as the disarming of irregular forces and measures to protect the rights of minorities. Mr Lavrov echoed Mr Kerry in saying that it would be up to the Ukrainians to decide exactly how these changes